Hello there. Today we're talking about one of the key secrets to feeling better and getting what you want out of life. Life is 50-50. That's 50% positive emotions, 50% negative emotions. For everyone. <laughs> we'll be integrating some highlights from our recent webinar on how to stop fucking away your feelings. A bit about me, I'm just like you. I got inculcated in the four mind viruses of homophobia. <clears throat> Those are perfectionism, the fuck it effect, external validation seeking, and people pleasing. Perfectionism is not the belief that you are perfect, it's wishing that you were. It's the belief that you should be perfect, feeling guilty for not being perfect, and the belief that your life would be better if you simply were. It's black and white thinking, believing you're a god or a piece of crap. If you made a mistake, then you're going to get fired. If your podcast isn't perfect, then you shouldn't release it at all. <laughs> Why seek perfection? Well, your primitive brain thinks it'll make you happy. That is a lie. Your brain will never give you the approval you seek until you rewire your mind. It will keep changing the goalpost over and over and over again. Nothing external will change how you feel. Getting your family's approval will not change how you feel. Getting your boss's approval, getting the governor's approval, getting your ex's approval, none of it. So mind virus number one relates to Andy Tobias's book and the research and writings that followed it called The Best Little Boy in the World Hypothesis. And that is that young gay men internalize at a very young age the belief that they are wrong just for being. <laughs> that something about them is wrong or off or bad. And so young gay men develop what's called contingent self-worth and throw themselves into high achieving activity, be it school, work, art, business. The best little boy in the world hypothesis is phenomenal insight, but insight isn't transformation. It may be necessary, but it's not sufficient. So for instance, instead of thinking, I fucked up, I ate cake today, I fell off the wagon, I'm a fat piece of shit. You could think, today I slept eight hours, ate a salad, and cared for my body in many ways. Both true, one more helpful than the other. The reality is that the reason I got fancy degrees and snazzy awards and prestigious jobs and the rest of it is that years prior I had the thought, I believed, that I would do just that. In fact, getting into school early on, I had a very carefully concocted story about how I was some kind of runaway fugitive escaping oppression and fleeing to find freedom or happiness or something at the magical fairyland <laughs> of Harvard. When I graduated, I felt a bit of relief that lasted about five minutes. That relief was from the bludgeoning of my own mind. Before going off to law school, I went to business school and the plan was be a college freshman again. <laughs> find a boyfriend, get fucked, and start life again. Let me tell you this. If there was a way to win at happiness, I would have won. <laughs> My plan was to optimize for happiness. And clearly, happiness meant finding a boyfriend, a hot boyfriend. And a hot boyfriend meant looking as hot as I could. Longer story for another time, but listen, trying to win at the game of happiness is like a slow death spiral. For far too many, a literal one. Second is the fuck it effect. For this, I'm going to read an excerpt from Walt Odette's book, Out of the Shadows, in the conversation he has with a client. 
People quite naturally crave sex. I think you're describing the feeling of sexual desire, not addiction. Touching and being touched, intimate physical connection with other people, these are all important natural and instinctual aspects of human life. Everyone needs that, whether they acknowledge it or not. And the patient suddenly teared up and said, I've never heard someone talk about sex that way. They talk about it as if we were out humping a rock, as if it meant nothing. The baths were the only place I felt like people think I have something to offer them. That's the only place I felt like a person. Just now as I'm thinking about what you said, I realize that I'm very lonely. End quote. O'Dowds talks about how one of the biggest mind viruses of homophobia is the flattening of gay men as homosexuals, with an emphasis on the sexual. In one sense, it's a dehumanization that runs quite deep and far. And in fact, Walt says, quote, we're never quite free, completely free of shame acquired in childhood. And the mere assertion of gay pride does not undo it. It hides it. So this is where therapy and coaching diverge somewhat. Therapy can be tremendously helpful, um, but coaching offers the following fact. It's literally impossible to, quote, acquire shame from childhood. Now, you might want to argue some kind of epigenetic or body imprinting trauma theory. But my thing is this. Is that helpful? Is it really helpful to think that shame is encoded somewhere in your DNA? I'll tell you what I found. <laughs> Parents used to ask me sometimes, well, how do you raise a successful kid? Well, you know. I used to joke and tell them, just make your love conditional and your kid will be super fucking successful. <laughs> I was really attached to the story that my life's problems were caused by my mom. And therapy helped reinforce that narrative. When you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, when you're scanning for ways your mom fucked you over as a kid, you'll find them. Why was I at 25 eating Cinnabon and Domino's at 3 in the morning? Because when I was 5, my mom said some words. Duh. <laughs> I remember when I moved to Iowa later on to build a presidential campaign, I told my friend on the campaign with conviction, gay men just want to have sex. Did you catch that? When I say the frontier of gay men's liberation is within our own minds, it isn't hyperbole. It's the cold, hard truth. We've uncritically internalized some real garbage and are unintentionally, often unconsciously, creating the results of our, quote, oppressors, Wildest dreams. So look, shame is simply a harmless physical sensation in your body created by your thoughts. The thoughts you're having now, in this moment. There might be thousands of surface thoughts, but they tend to boil down to something like, I'm unworthy, I'm wrong, or what if the tribe doesn't like me and I die? <laughs> I love you, <clears throat> and I'm proud of you, is a super helpful alternative thought. If you're not there yet, you can practice latter thoughts, like you have done some amazing things. Or it's possible that I'm learning to believe that love and connection are available to me. The way you know if a thought is working, it's like trying on a pair of shoes. You see what you feel. You look at the physical sensations in your body. Okay, the third mind virus is external validation seeking. That's lacking the capacity to validate yourself and create your own self-confidence, and instead looking for it in others. Looking for it in others as validation vending machines. I read Dan Savage's writings and books like Alan Downs's The Velvet Rage. Alan Downs quotes 
What's happiness really all about? How will I find lasting love and contentment? Can I find it in a relationship with a man? Is there such a thing as a healthy relationship between two men? How can I find real purpose and passion in my life? Most gay movies were equally, if not more, depressing, and the message seemed to be, well, I was fucked, but so was everyone else who was gay. <laughs> well, that sucks. I mean, the data is atrocious. The illusory promise of happy lands, of rainbows and daisies, really falls flat. And I bought in hard to that identity. When I ran for, for Congress, I, t I told a Broadway composer in a car ride back from a dinner, if I can't be happy myself, well, I can at least be proud of bringing happiness to others. Dramatic, right? <laughs> Man, unhappiness and insufficiency are an identity. They can be a comfort blanket. The limiting beliefs of a gay man, as a girl's sidekick, as the childless uncle, as the people-pleasing son, as the outwardly wildly successful but internally, internally dreadful and doom-swirling <laughs> facade of perfection. <laughs> the fourth mind virus is people-pleasing, or the belief that it's selfish to prioritize your own wants over others. It's having more concern about what others think of you than what you think, feeling guilty by putting your own desires first. Larry Kramer, in The Tragedy of Today's Gaze, laments that all that he views that is wrong with gay men and is encapsulated well in the line from The Normal Heart, the, quote, tyranny of the blood test. Kramer, like so many, is so well-intended and, again, like so many, offers tremendously valuable insight. But is shaming gay men helpful? I don't think it ultimately works. It goes something like this. Shaming gay men for acting out of shame for being imperfect, which leads to more shame, which leads to the fuck it effect. <laughs> One of the silver linings of COVID is the extrication of morality from public health for a brief moment. That is, contracting a potentially fatal virus does not necessarily mean you're unlovable, does not necessarily mean that there's something wrong or bad with you. In fact, most every illness today is a behavioral disease. If you just stayed at home or lived in a bubble, you'd be COVID-free. Many of the illogical premises are being unearthed for their hypocrisy. So these are four of the mind viruses. And instead I say, no, I say fuck no to all of it, to all of the noise. You can change every thought you have, including those you practiced for decades. You can 100% eliminate the desire for disconnected sex and for every other form of emotional buffering. Adults can't be abandoned. You can't be abandoned. Your childhood does not exist except as a thought in your mind. Instead of resisting an urge, you can allow it. There is nothing wrong with you. You've simply absorbed a fuck ton of homophobic social conditioning. You are 100% lovable and worthy as you are. Connection, intimacy, and love as you want it is available to you. Changing your circumstances will not change your feelings. I think of how many lives have been lost in part because of a single thought. I should be happy. Or I should be happier. Remember, life is 50-50 for all of us. When you achieve great things, you learn this immediately and indefinitely. Walt Odets thinks of gay men's history in three buckets. 
There's the pre-AIDS bucket, or invisible. <laughs> there's AIDS, which is dying or getting by by the skin of your teeth. And then there's post-AIDS, which might be a pseudo-reactionary sexual revolution, a bimodal distribution where many, many gay men at the right tail are wildly successful, but still internally dreadful. I'm paraphrasing, but the real question is, what does the fourth evolution of gay manhood look like? What kind of future can we expect if we don't anchor our possibility in our past? It's up to us to create it. You know, for almost three decades, I've looked around and outside of me, searching for answers to what building a life as a gay man ought to be, can be. My goal is that my life, this podcast, this community will be an example of what's possible. I have dramatically changed every area of my life. I was an unhappy lawyer who fucked and ate my feelings away <laughs> and became someone who created my own security, love, confidence, learned to say no, ask for exactly what I want. And I want to ask you, what would an amazing six months look like for you if it were August 2022 or whenever you're listening to this podcast? What's holding you back? Go to tinyurl.com slash thegaymastermind, tinyurl.com slash thegaymastermind, and apply for the Gay Man's Mastermind waitlist now. Never fuck your feelings away again. Get your life back and love it.